when you're talking about things like equality and fairness of opportunity, uh, there's not a day at which you say, okay, it's done. The best that you can possibly do is achieve a point where you feel like it's fair and then you have to endeavor to continue it forever. Hello, and welcome to the 14th episode of The Broadcast, a Chicago podcast dedicated to showcasing women who are making an impact on Chicago and their communities. But today, it's a broadcast first. We're featuring men on today's show who are working in their own right to help make an impact for women. And I can't wait to get this conversation started. I'm Becky Carroll, president and CEO of C-Strategies, and I'm also your host. All of this is made possible because of you and our amazing sponsors and partners, We Will and Evolve Her, and our podcast home, 1871, which is Chicago's premier hub for entrepreneurs, innovation, and technology. So if this is your first time listening to the broadcast, welcome. We're glad you found us. And for those joining again, welcome back and thanks again for listening. So let's get started. In the wake of Trump and Me Too, women have been woke. They're marching, they're organizing, they're building, they're leading a movement around sexual harassment, pay equity, inclusion, and leadership in the workplace. So how can we make room for our male allies who want to help and join in these fights. You know, today we're gonna explore that and see what some of our allies are doing and perhaps what can be done more of to support women who are leading these conversations and fights. So that's why we're talking today in studio with those who are doing their part to change the landscape for women across industries here in Chicago. So please welcome holistic founding partner and former chief operating officer of 1871, Tom Alexander, Good City President and CEO, Jimmy Lee, and Illinois State Rep and Interim Director of the Democratic Party of Illinois, Christian Mitchell. Hi, guys. How Welcome. Woo woo. So, thank you so much for being here today, of course. I really am excited to have all of you on the show. So, let's get started. You know, because our country, our state, our city is knee deep in everything politics, you just can't escape it. I thought, Christian, we'd start with you to help set the tone for the conversation. You recently raised your hand to take on the role of interim director of the Democratic Party of Illinois, all on the heels of Me Too and Time's Up and a push for more diversity overall in our state political system. I can say from experience that you have also long served as an ally for women in your role and as state rep. So, you know, when you hear the statistic that 36% of women are represented in the Illinois legislature. You know, what do you think or contemplate the state party can or should do more of to support and encourage women, especially women women of color, to run for office? Yeah. So, well, first of all, thank you for for having me here. And and Becky, thank you for all that you've done for women and all that you've done for civic life and political life here in the city generally. So very, very glad to be here. And one of the first three men on the broadcast. Um, so I, I think, um, so there's there's something, there's some stuff on sort of the the hard infrastructure side that we can do to help. And I think some some softer stuff that really makes a difference sets the tone. So when I hear that only 36% of, of uh, representatives in the General Assembly are women, I find that statistic unacceptable. If women are half the population, they ought to be half of our elected representatives. So I'm proud actually of the slate of candidates that we are fielding in this election. You've got two uh, female candidates 
Democrats running for uh, two of the four uh, contested congressional seats with Lauren Underwood and Betsy Londegren. You've got uh, Natalie Phelps Finney and Monica Bristow, who are uh, not just women, but actually also downstate, actually are replacing uh, long-tenured male elected officials. Uh, we've got a pretty diverse slate of women running. I don't know if it's a majority, but it's certainly a significant plurality if it's not that. So I think mm-hmm. encouraging more women to run for office, recruiting them to run for office, giving them the infrastructure, the support, the fundraising support to run for office is really important. Mm-hmm. But I also think that there are other things we can do to set the tone. What I've tried to do, and, and was was grateful for you saying that I've been an ally to women, that means a lot to me coming from you, is I've always tried to listen. And so in the wake of the Me Too movement, what I want to make sure is that the changes that we make are led and ordered by women, that I am not taking up a bunch of space in the room, but then being an ally, being secure enough to listen to the folks who've been in the struggle, who've been affected. I think the other thing is that men need to be conscientious in politics. I think there's a lot of entitlement uh, in politics. I think that we need to do more to understand that that men have behaved unacceptably for many, many years, that that has had a real impact on women wanting to go into office, and that is a real detriment to our society. So being conscientious of our privilege is extraordinarily important, uh, and that is true of all men, including men of color, especially as we try to encourage more women of color to get into politics. Well, I can say that I agree and endorse all that you said, and thank you, and I'm sure many, many more can, including those, of course, in this room. So with the upcoming election cycle in 2020 around the quarter, you know, there seems to be a more robust push, maybe than ever before, to advance a pro-woman, pro-equality platform by electing individuals who embrace those ideals. Women, like I said, certainly woke and more politically engaged than maybe at least I've seen in my adult life. So do you guys think that enough men are raising their hands to engage and advocate for women in politics and the workplace for that matter? And if so, what are you observing? But if not, why is that? Tom? Yeah, so no, I don't think that enough men are raising their hands to engage and advocate for women. And I'm not sure that actually there is like a point at which you crack your knuckles and you're like, okay, that's enough (laughs) energy behind that. I mean, when you're talking about things like equality and fairness of opportunity, uh, there's not a day at which you say, okay, it's done. The best that you can possibly do is achieve a point where you feel like it's fair and then you have to endeavor to continue it forever. So we're obviously far away from that point. And so a big part of what I'm focused on is to try and and do some of the things that Christian was talking about to help everybody, not just men, but help everybody understand that they have a real opportunity to participate in the process Mm -hmm. as an active participant uh, running for office or seeking opportunity or as a participant who's helping foster opportunity for other people. And sometimes you're one in the morning and a different one in the afternoon, and that's totally (laughs) fine also. And so what we're really trying to help people understand is that this is sort of a fluid thing, and it's a little bit nebulous in terms of exactly kind of where you are in the process, but that doesn't mean that something isn't happening and Mm -hmm. that there doesn't need to be more stuff going on. Yes. And into perpetuity, perhaps. I'm curious, like you're not in the thick of politics Mm -hmm. every day, but like I said, you can't avoid it. And I'm sure (laughs) even in your space, you, you know, you, you've seen, had your own observations. Well, funny enough, I used to be involved in politics. So I worked under then Governor Ryan uh, Mm -hmm. for a number of years. And then I also worked 
under then President Bush in his White House oh, administration. Wow. So I come at it from a can Republican. We bring, can we bring the Bushes back? <laughs> I take that these days. I think you would have ever said that. I know, right? <laughs> I think a lot of Democrats agree with that. Yes. You know, it's it's kind of interesting because I hear it from a lot of my Republican coworkers, people I've worked with in the past, and one thing I've always told them is, at the end of the day, it really comes down to respect. Right. Like, do you respect the person that you're talking to, mm-hmm. whether it's a woman, whether that person is a minority, whether that person is different from a socioeconomic status? And I think that's the biggest thing that I've kind of realized is it's one thing for for us to be able to say, yes, we we want equality. We want everyone to have a voice. But if men are not looking at it, even for us, right, as, as Republicans, if if you don't respect the person who's on the other side mm-hmm. and feel like you can really learn from them. None of this is going to ever work. Mm-hmm. So, can I can I just yeah. add? I just yeah. think that that you know interpersonal relationships are extraordinarily important, and I think that one of the things that men need to do is step up and have conversations with other men about why. Um, you know, Me Too is important about why harassment is unacceptable, about the ways in which we are all lesser for a culture that accepts this in the same way that it's different. You know, for example, if, if, you know, you, Becky, or you, Tom, as Caucasians are talking to your friends about, you know, issues of racial injustice or what happened in Ferguson or what's happened here with Laquan McDonald, when you when you talk about from your perspective why that matters, why that affects the cultural fabric that we all rely on, why how that undermines the social contract for all of us, it's different than if I talk about as an African-American because people look at me and they say, well, of course you feel that way because you're enduring that every day. So in some ways it, it sort of colors to use a <laughs> word I probably shouldn't hear our perspective. So when, when men are stepping up and talking to other men about why this is unacceptable and the ways in which this makes us all lesser, I think that's an incredibly important role that not enough of us play. I own that and want to step up on that and, and more men need to do that. That's a really good point. Yeah, agree. And you know, speaking then of men who are serving as allies, um, Jimmy, when I, you know, I think your platform with a good city is really amazing. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is basically human investment and in high mm-hmm. potential females and minority entrepreneurs running both nonprofit and for-profit entities. That's how you boil it mm-hmm. down. Yeah. You know, of all the things that you've channeled your energy and resources towards, you know, why was this the path that you chose? And what do you feel that impact has been so far to help lift up women and minorities totally. in the work you do? Well, I think part of it is, honestly, it was just a strategic decision. You know, right before I came to Good City, I spent about two and a half years being able to travel around the world. So I was lucky enough to be funded by a number of foundations to be able to help um, charities and NGOs in almost 19 different countries outside the United States. Wow. So I went to Vietnam, spent some time in Indonesia, Africa, all of those countries. And the one thing that I found women are actually the best entrepreneurs, right? So you would go to a village. I just remember you go to a village in Africa mm-hmm. and the men would just kind of be standing around. But it was the women who were the ones who were the, um, who were taking care of the kids. They were starting social enterprises, businesses. They were the ones who were really trying to develop not just their family, but the community around them. Mm-hmm. And the question I always asked was, why isn't the men doing anything, you know? But a lot of the funders and a lot of the people locally said, if you can invest in the woman, they're gonna be the difference makers. And so I think for me, as I came back, that was really the lesson that I got um, from my travels. That's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. I do think there is something maybe about, you know, women that, I don't know, being a woman, I can Mm -hmm. say like, there's just something about being very intentional about what you do in that respect, especially in relation to your family, your community. Mm-hmm. 
There's a ton of data out there too yeah. that investing in women-led companies mm-hmm. is a better investment. That venture capital firms who invest in women-led companies see a higher return on investment. That they're more mm-hmm. judicious mm-hmm. about almost every aspect of the process. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of data to support what you saw anecdotally. Yeah, totally. And there's yeah. a, there's a ton of research that says, for example, when corporate boards are more diverse, both with people of color and with women, that they do better. They perform better. They market better. It's it's unquestioned. And yeah. in that same vein, there's also research that shows when more women hold office, there yep. are more policies that yep. benefit women, families, and communities. So there must be something to mm-hmm. that intuition also that you picked up yeah, when you were yeah, on the road. So that kind of a good segue to another question about being intentional about supporting diversity and capital investment and entrepreneurs. And for Tom, your latest venture and your work here at 1871 as a former COO. So you founded Holistic, which um, from my understanding is to help measure and score company culture. Uh, and while at 1871, you focused heavily on inclusion and diversity. So what's some of your go-to advice for companies in today's climate as they also try to be more intentional about diversity and inclusion in their own operation? And how can your company also help, help sure, them get sure. there? Sure, sure. So I'll do two things. Number one is data is critical. You have to be measuring and you have to commit yourself to measuring as much as possible. And unfortunately, there's very little measurement that goes on, and most of it is counting, you know, counting people based off of their gender or their ethnicity Mm -hmm. or things like that. Uh, There's actually a lot more that can be measured, though. You can measure all sorts of indicators uh, to indicate presence of bias. Uh, lack of opportunity in certain scenarios. You can look at evidence to show that people don't feel like they're being treated fairly. And then you can address the root causes of those types of issues. So what we're really doing at its core is to try help companies access the data that they already have and to create new measurements that will allow them to, in the moment, really address issues. Like you used the phrase being woke earlier, and Mm -hmm. I think that's a very important concept. I look at that in sort of three buckets. And so like The first bucket is just what people consider to be woke, like I'm aware that there's a problem. So the Me Too movement is a great example of that. The second bucket is that I'm aware that there's a problem and I'm doing some things to fix it. I'm removing bad actors. I'm, you know, remunerating people who are underpaid. Time's up is a great Mm -hmm. example of that. But I think there's a whole other bucket, which is basically unexplored, which is everything I just said, plus in real time, I'm going to arm myself with technology, solutions, opportunities, best practices, policies mm-hmm. to prevent these things from becoming a problem in the first place. So that would be like not happening. That's mm-hmm. the hashtag or something like that. <laughs> uh, but the idea basically is before these problems occur, you're measuring in such an aggressive fashion that you can actually realize that they're happening and prevent them from occurring in the first place. So that's where we're working. The second piece of advice I would give to folks is that it should be fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And I say this all the time about matters of diversity and inclusion is diversity and inclusion should be fun. It shouldn't be a work meeting that you go to from 315 to 415 on Thursday afternoons that everybody's dreading. Mm -hmm. It should be woven into everything that you're doing and it should be exciting. Meeting new people is fun. Experiencing new things is fun. I always sometimes I meet occasionally still even I meet people who are like not totally sold on the idea of like Mm -hmm. a diverse and inclusive (laughs) world. Less and less, but they're out there. And so one question I like to ask them is like, if you have some time off of work, what do you do? And invariably they say, I like to travel. 
Mm-hmm. And they don't say, like, I'm going to Cleveland either. No offense to anybody from Cleveland. <laughs> they say I'm going someplace exotic. Yeah. So I'm like, well, what do you love about travel? Do you like sitting on an airplane for 13 hours and having leg cramps? <laughs> do you like spending all of your available resources so that you're broke when you get back? No, you like meeting new people. Mm-hmm. You like trying new, new things. things. You like exploring new cultures. Like, that is diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a great aphorism for, like, how exciting it can be. And that's something that I try and tell companies that they should be really thoughtful about is this shouldn't seem like work. This should be an opportunity for you to engage people, to get them more excited about coming to work, to get them happier, more productive, more energetic. And if you do it right, it really can be. So if I'm a company and I'm like, hey, I need your help. Like, what's that kind of process? Yeah. So what we do is we amass a huge amount of data and we run a series of analyses against it. And we come out of it with a score, which is effectively like a credit score for your employee experience. And it works just like a credit score. If you have a good one, you're probably doing okay. If you have a bad one, you're doing poorly. And if you're somewhere in the middle, which most people or companies are, further conversation is warranted. And then we get Mitt Romney's binders full of women. Exactly. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. So we come up with the five or six different issue areas that we think are the most critical for the company to address. And then we have a suite of solutions, technologies, best practices, or whatever that will help the company deploy against those specific problems. And I mean, we name the company Holistic for a reason. We try and attack all these different elements at the same time. Uh, And the purpose of that is to really try and move the needle in a significant fashion. And so we're able to, because we have a lot of data, identify things that the company can't see, get a little bit more to the core of the issue and deploy solutions directly at those problems. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit like going to a doctor. Very rarely do they say, take two pills and call me tomorrow. It's (laughs) medicine, exercise, diet, lifestyle, stress, all these different types of things go into it. Companies are the same way. And you have to monitor it. And so that's really what we're involved with. Right. That's really Do you think startups are doing it better than maybe some of these older, more established corporations? I don't think anybody... Hmm. I think some companies are doing it well. I think that in smaller companies, um, you know, in certain cases they are, but there's also a lot of like... Uh, you know, in startup environments, as you know, and I mean, everybody in this room is familiar with it. Uh, there's a lot of this like kind of balls to the wall for uh, part of my expression yes. um, approach where you're just like kind of doing it as fast as you possibly can. And you're not being super thoughtful mm-hmm. about the ramifications of your decisions on the long term nature of your company. And what we're trying to encourage people is like the first day of your company, that should be the first day that you're thinking about diversity and inclusion and it needs to be woven into what you're doing it can't be this thing of like oh when i'm successful three years from now then i'll start to think about it it has to be part of your dna mm-hmm. so that's kind of what we're yeah, trying to yeah it has to be intentional because you could put out and ask for one to hire people and you're like oh i'm just gonna get the best ones but you really have to be intentional about finding the best people to get that right diversity which mm-hmm. i'm proud of always attempting to do and i think that you know that's something that at the get-go is is critical because then you won't get there otherwise. Sure. And I mean, Christian, you've seen this firsthand, I'm sure, in the legislature. A bunch of people, well-intentioned people doing what they believe to be the right thing in the moment can still lead to a less than ideal I've outcome on a macro that. level. Right? <laughs> what are you no, talking no, about? I mean, that, that's that's, <laughs> that's why you're an elected official and I'm not. <laughs> I think that's absolutely true. And I think that it then has sort of a cascading effect, right? So when you look, for example, at issues of pay equity, for example, so part of it is just flat out rank discrimination. Mm-hmm. Part of it is you look at any sort of given sector and the more experience that you have, the more likely that you're going to be paid better. So for example, when I was looking at hiring my campaign staff last time, I was like, look, my last campaign campaign team was great, but it was all men. 
and I want to deliberately look for a woman of color to be one of my three senior staff members. Now, one, that brings a different perspective, a different sort of view on conflict resolution, a different sort of view on a whole bunch of things. Yeah. But two, it now means that she now has experience as a political field director, which means when she goes on to her next race, she comes with that experience, which makes it more likely that she's going to be able to compete for a higher salary, better job, more prominence. And exactly. so being mindful of how you're hiring people from the get-go really matters. It's something that I can do better, that others need to do better, but but we have to think about it and be deliberate. And like you just touched on something I think that's critical that's often overlooked is that in the way that the world works now, when you go job to job or when you navigate through your career, you take everything that you have with you. Mm-hmm. You take your network, you take your experience, you take your approaches. And so when you ask like what can men do, helping women in their network, you know, meet more people, have experiences Bring them to the table. Exactly. Yes. Right. I mean, something as it's simple, that as, simple that. as that. Uh, and not those just because you should, up. but because it makes the table better. Right. 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 Exactly. Right. And yes. and and those folks get to take those experiences and those contacts with them, mm-hmm. and they can do profound things given the opportunity. And so there are little things that you can do along the way to pave the road for mm-hmm. that sort of mm-hmm. yeah. advancement. So that's why I want to kind of ask before we close this out, like. So what are things that, I mean, what have you done? I know I'm hearing stories about what you've done, but like, yeah, what advice further, you know, can you really give your your fellow male species about <laughs> what they can be doing based on what you've done and, and you've seen the outcome of that, which especially in your line of work, I'm sure yeah. has been tremendous helping to empower women and minorities to control yeah. their destiny. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if this is an advice that men can do. I, I'll say this, right? Like, and I don't know if you ever struggle with this. As a minority growing up, it was always hard to know whether or not you had a seat at the table, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so I would always find myself, especially as an Asian, either comparing myself to the people around me or just trying to fit in like a chameleon, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and that was all I did growing up. And Mm -hmm. even quite honestly, there are days where I struggle with that right now too. Mm -hmm. And I think there came a place where I just said like, here's who I am. Here's the abilities that I have, and here's what I bring to the table. If you like it, that's great. If you don't like it, mm-hmm. that's fine with me as well too. But at least I have something to contribute. And I think that sometimes what I see both with women and minorities is that they sit at this table and they're okay about playing se- second fiddle to somebody else who they deem yeah. to be a leader or because of status or the color of their skin or whatever it is. Yeah, and, and if, yeah. to follow up on, and, and, and in some ways, because you've been conditioned that way, but to, to follow up on and sort of crystallize Jimmy's point, I think if I had to crystallize that advice, I would say be secure. Be secure in who you are, be secure in what you bring to the table, have an understanding of it and value it. But second, understand there, there is often a Highlander mentality. I see this all the time in politics, right, which says there can only be one, right? <laughs> and I think that understanding that there is plenty of work, like the planet's getting warmer, we've still got war, there's a whole bunch of poor people, like there's a lot of work to be done. And that, that by the way, is not just a government thing, that is a business thing, that's a startup thing. It's right? an everyone there thing. There is plenty of work to be done. Lifting as you climb only helps you become better. So be secure in in your value and your worth and you will feel more able to reach out to other people, even and especially those who don't look like you, think like you, come from the place that you come from, because instead of being afraid of being supplanted, you will be excited, and this is something that Tom was talking about, you'll be excited about a chance to reach a new tranche, to learn something new, to come at it from a different perspective that you might not have thought of that can make your company more profitable, your government more efficient, your venture more effective. 
I would add to that, um, undergoing unconscious bias training is something that I think every person should do, but especially uh, any man in business or politics or sort of any mm-hmm. throughout life. Um, it's a very impactful experience if you haven't done it, and it's pretty widely available. Uh, and it will open your eyes to a lot of things that you're doing, saying, thinking, not doing, not saying, not thinking. Because you're not conscious really yeah, of it. You're not aware of it. Right. And the moment you come aware, it's very powerful. And I'll say one more thing, which is society has to start holding men to a little bit of a higher standard. And I'll use an example that frustrates me to know. And Jimmy, I'm sure you've experienced this. Like if you're a man with kids and you do even a modicum of parenting Mm -hmm. in public you're treated like a straight-on celebrity (laughs) people cannot get over the idea that a man would Mm -hmm. i take my kids on the bus to school Mm -hmm. and you would think that i invented the concept of children like they're so enthusiastic about it Mm -hmm. and i'm like are you serious would you be doing this for my Mm -hmm. wife chris rock has a whole skit about this getting (laughs) getting cookies for stuff that you're supposed to do i mean it's ridiculous And so, like, the next time you want to go and give a guy a pat on the back because he took his kids to school, don't. Or even mm-hmm. better, go yeah. and find his wife and be like, what, you know, what do you want to accomplish next year and how can I help you do that? Yeah. Like, he'll appreciate it, trust me, because that's, in, the, in essence, part of why he's doing it. Right. Like, the, the whole point of it is that if everybody's working together, that means that you can't celebrate one segment of the population for doing things that you completely ignore when Mm -hmm. the other segment of the population does it both ways. And so I think that's a really important uh, thing that everybody just kind of needs to consider. Well, as I I was saying earlier, you'd be surprised at how fast this went by, and it did, but I got to tell I love ending it on that note. I'm going to make sure my husband listens to this. Um, (laughs) Now, he is a wonderful, uh, wonderful dad, and uh, yes, I have actually also witnessed when People go gaga over him playing with the kids. I'm just like, hey, I'm playing with them over here too. But, you know, I give him his due. I do. So, yeah, so unfortunately this first for the broadcast has come to an end. But, you know, before we we leave, I'd just love for each of you to say a little bit about maybe how our listeners can learn, find you, learn about more of what you're doing, et cetera. Tom? Yeah, so holisticindex.com, Tom at holisticindex.com. And I'm, you know, on Twitter uh, as Tom Alexander. They're easy to find. Yeah. <laughs> and we're at www.goodcitychicago.org. And my email address is jadelee at goodcitychicago.org. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, Christian Mitchell, you can find me on Twitter. It's at, at CLJ Mitchell. And then we also, the only Democratic Party has a website, ILDems.com, and an ILDems Twitter. So that's probably the easiest way to find us. The Dem Party has Twitter. I love it. And can I just say, as a Dem who's done about 14 campaigns, I am very happy to see you in this spot and seeing you uh, give some of them hell out there. So again, thank you to our guests, Tom Alexander, Christian Mitchell, and Jimmy Lee for their important work in sharing their stories today. And again, the broadcast is brought to you by C-Strategies LLC, a strategic communications and public affairs firm bringing passion and veteran experience to help clients meet their business goals. Our sponsors are WeWill, which empowers women and children to get involved in the legislative process by affording them opportunities to have their voice heard and evolve her, Chicago's only creative co-working space for women. And again, thank you to our podcast host, 1871. The broadcast is produced and edited by Tweet Thornton. Additional editing provided by Nicholas Fedora. Music by Christy Bennett's Fumi Gypsy Project. And to learn more about C-Strategies in the broadcast, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at C-Strategies LLC. And visit cstrategiesllc.com. Thanks for listening.